0: Thank you. People thinking out of my knees people are very excited about the bucks it's it's good to have like a major piece of cultural real estate reaffirm you know your demands that's it's it's very validating and, uh, and it helps morale for sure, it definitely, I think that's for sure, uh, in, this, in, the, in this society for especially. So that's good, so I have no, no complaints, obviously I wouldn't criticize them for doing it, that would be churlish. And I think people should be excited, but I think people need to also be a little realistic I think people are kind of hoping that this snowballs into something, uh, but I feel like that's sort of what everybody is doing all the time is hoping that the next demonstrative act leads to in a uh, sort of bunch of copycat behavior and I'm not and that is not because anybody is making a bad analysis in fact, I would say they're making a correct analysis of the city society they live in it's like the kind of social organizations we, we would need to coordinate action don't exist. What we have instead is the hope that we could, that individuals could be simultaneously inspired by the act of someone else. And that, that's what we have kind of, have been banking on. And I think that there's a role to play for that. It's just, I worry that it becomes a totalizing theory of change. Yeah, I got a mug. I switched to a mug tonight. It's just water, actually. Not even seltzer. I'm out of water. Ooh, what would if the Romans never left Britain? Well, I mean, that's really covered in uh, Escape from Rome, among other things. But uh, one of the reasons that the British political system proved dynamic enough to accommodate the Cultural Revolution relative to the stagnant monarchies of uh, of the continent, like France, for example, was that because Roman rule collapsed apocalyptically there, leaving very little civic remnant, uh, that as a result, British society uh, rebuilt along uh, more horizontally-oriented lines of authority. Uh, just because there were no existing nodes of authority to to uh, build up from. That's why you have, like, the common law tradition and shit, and, like, English freedoms, which, of course, once they fuse with capitalism, become just licensed to turn the planet into an empty fucking cinder. But those elements uh, were progressive... Uh, in 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 the past, in the past, in that they helped create a political culture that, instead of allowing the industrial revolution to uh, like fatally undermine a social balance of powers, like it did in a lot of other countries, and that's why it was suppressed and kind of kept away uh, for and uh, for so long. Uh, the Brits were able to accommodate it because. the the Romans weren't around long enough and uh, with enough residual influence to uh, shape their uh, political structures towards the sort of absolutist trend uh, and specifically uh, like high uh, rule by large landowners that makes the emergence of the bourgeois much harder. I had to take it. I took a. I took an ancestry DNA test. Yes, I know they have my DNA. Whatever they have, anything anyway. I under, I understand why people who aren't enmeshed in these networks should try not to to stay not enmeshed in them. But I feel like I lost my soul a while ago. Uh. So, but we were gonna do an episode about it that we never really got around to, uh, where we were gonna talk about like the weird politics and and cultural resonance of uh, this genetic history stuff uh, and the way it, re- it recreates a lot of kind of terrifying uh, racial essentialism honestly uh not a good it's really not been a great development it plus like hyper awareness of race as like a, a po- as a perceived positive social force it's a it's a back and of course deepening economic uh contradictions and crisis this is not a good stoop but anyway i did take the thing yes Uh, it gave me basically what I assumed I would get, which is mostly Northern, Northern Europe, Germany. It looked, I got, it was like a map with a bunch of lines coming off of it. Germany, Denmark, uh, England, I think France a little bit or Belgium or something. And then the big surprise, 15% Mediterranean, which usually means Italian. Uh, but of course, as we all know, this is pseudoscience What they're doing is they're taking markers that appear predominantly, or not even predominantly, but like statistically more likely in certain areas than others, and then assigning that in your DNA to that group. That's not science. Because for any one individual person, those could be from anywhere. So yeah, you're saying you probably are from here, you might be, but it's barely above a guess, which is not how people take it. People are like... Well, I'm 25% Frisian, 36% uh, Walloonian, and I've got, a, third, uh, got a, half a, a half a percent Swabian. It's all just made up. But I mean, I would not be surprised if my actual, like, real ancestry in terms of the people, not weird allele blobs, was aligned that line. All I really, the only real clues I have is I was born, I was born in Wisconsin, born, my family has all been like multi-generational from Wisconsin. My last name is Christman. My mother's, mas, my mother's maiden name is all, even more German sounding than that. It has two N's, which are the real German sounding names, or the ones with two N's. Uh, and that both of my grandparents were Catholic families. I put two and two together and it comes out Bavaria. But I mean, I honestly feel like if you don't have relatives who are alive that you could visit in another country, you aren't really from there, and you shouldn't really identify that way. It's kind of dumb. It's 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 uh, it's basically astrology. It's the exact same sort of deal of like trying to uh, take a random thing and then like tack your personality around it on uh, intentionally, like self hypnotize yourself into an identity that is is essentially synthetic. So, like, if you visited family members in, in another country where they live, you know? And, I, and certainly, you don't get to... Co- and, and if you've got a... It, uh, yeah. I was going to say if you have, a, a, like, dual passports, but those Irish guys, those fucking... The Irish will give it to anybody. They will give citizenship to basically anybody. anybody with a Anybody with an apostrophe in their last name, no matter what, gets a fucking Irish passport. So that's also a bunch of baloney. Uh, Aldo Moro assassination, false flag? I would say not even possible. I would say it's probable. When you look at the fact that Moro was in the process of negotiating to bring the communists into government for the first time in the post-war history of Italy, uh, in the middle of the years of lead, in which the vast majority of terror attacks, including ones that were publicly blamed on Red Brigade uh, communists, were being carried out by uh, the P2 Masonic lodge uh, uh black aristocracy uh, fascist paramilitary groups the gladio uh funded with mob mob money f- funneled through the Vatican bank hilariously enough uh and in fact Morrow, before he was kidnapped he was he visited uh, the united states and kissinger gave him a talking to about the communists that I don't think there's a record of what he said, but there is a record that after Moro got out of his office, he was essentially shell-shocked. He was stunned, and he, like, talked about how he was going to fucking quit. So, and then you got the actual case itself has the evidence, like, in all Italian uh, criminal cases is all over the place, but there's a fair degree of eyebrow-raising stuff. One of the most interesting, one of the fun, uh, one of the things that I think is funny, just in terms of, you know, circumstantial evidence, is, is that the kidnapping of Moro was, it wasn't like, I mean, my God, like, by the way, they, the Gladio, also, the like, the Gladio network, the South Africans probably killed uh, 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 Olaf Palm, but that assassination really could have just been any crank. The guy was, he never had bodyguards. He was walking off out of a movie theater, shot him in the back. Moro was in a fucking motorcade and his guards were, like, eliminated uh, with machine guns by guys dressed as cops. <coughs> there aren't a lot of, uh, of, of genuine uh, left-wing kidnappings and terror attacks from that era with that kind of coordination. If you look at, like, the shit Beiner Mannhoff pulled in Germany, the just hilariously botched, bloody goof ups that those guys tra- uh, pulled off when, uh, while they were trying to kidnap or assassinate German, uh, like, capitalists. How close are we to a civil war? Stop it. There's not going to be a civil war. Who are the two sides in the civil war? Tell me who the two sides are. Hassan has asked me to come on the stream, and I would love to. I'll be on Hasan's stream in the future uh, because we're going to be. Chris and I are going to be adding a. Uh, I guess I should announce this here. The there is like there are already. I, I know people have asked like, could you get an audio only version of these? Which I totally get because I don't watch YouTube videos. I really only listen to podcasts in terms of engaging with audio media on the internet. Uh, but I also am uh, dullard and lazy and don't know what I'm doing technologically. Uh, So, like, there have been bootleg uh, RSS feeds of the audio of this, which is fine by me, but we're going to be creating a, like, mixed and, and, uh, like, audio spike, audio juiced uh, podcast stream for the vlogs, all of them, and that'll just be going on to all of your uh, podcasting applications, applications, and Spotify, which we are on. Uh, we were talking about the Civil War, though, before that. See, people say it's going to be Antifa versus militia. I'm sorry, I don't, I've, I've talked, I think I've, I hope I've expressed enough why I don't think that's a real thing. Why I don't think that this is a real demonstration of social forces so much as a, a performance by people who have self-radicalized away from a, a fundamentally apathetic and apolitical public. You might see a breakdown of social order that will then be reasserted from below, above technologically and uh, militarily, but I just don't think that that's a civil war. Does anybody know about the Greensboro Massacre? Have you ever, guys ever heard about that? I'm curious how, how well-known that event is on like, online left circles. Has anybody ever heard of the Greensboro Massacre? All right, we got a lot of some no's, we got some yes's, don't know. I mean, I'd say I'm going to go it's probably I honestly it's like 60/40 note of yes. Yeah. So, uh in 1979, a bunch of members of the uh Communist Workers Party, which was a Maoist group, uh that came out of the whole the New Left. Uh uh was getting ready to do a big anti clan march in Greensboro, North Carolina. And there had been an escalating series of provocations between the two leading up to that. Uh, and there was a lot of heated rhetoric. It was called Death to the Klan, was the name of the march. Uh, and while they were setting, getting ready, they were getting their pickets ready, and while they were uh, 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 marshalling uh, for the parade, a carloads of members, card-carrying members of the American Nazi Party and the local Klan organization pulled up, and there's video of this. There, were People who had camcorders. Uh, they took rifles out of their trunks of their cars. They walked over to where the uh, communists were. They started shouting, and, and there was an exchange of, uh, of, of insults and then fists and swinging. Uh, I believe there was maybe one gun on the side of the, of the uh, marchers, but at some point the Klan guys and the Nazi guys just opened fire and they killed five people uh, and wounded over twelve others. Uh they were all charged and and uh, uh charged with first degree murder, and they were all acquitted uh on under self-defense. Uh and later it came out that uh the that the Klan groups which had uh informants within them, which all of those Klan organizations did, they were half of them, just like it's Hilariously, just like the Communist Party, half of the Klan in the 60s were Feds. Uh, and they local police had a tip that the local Klan was planning to do something violent to the, the, the Communists. And they sat on it, and this happened. And these guys got acquitted. Uh, in That was in 1979. And... I just bring that up to say that as horrifying as what we're seeing happen is I'm noticing a trend where people are, without even knowing it, seeking some ratification of the horror that they're imagining, like I talked about yesterday. And things like that, things like what happened in Kenosha, it really fires that cylinder. Uh, like, but apparently the person who did this, I was talking the other day about how a 19-year-old kid. Uh, running for, you know, State Senate is an expression of a, meet, of a, of a uh, movement that is not being organized, that is, that is individuals acting individually. 17-year-old uh, fascist gunman is similarly uh, indicative of a movement that is uncoordinated. Apparently he went there because like, somebody tweeted about it or did a Facebook post about how, like, hey, let's come up let's go up to Kenosha. And he just grabbed his AR and he went up there. I mean, that is an expression of the kind of social enemy that is bringing everything to the shithole it is, but one of the big symptoms of that is that people don't organize effectively. They come together along axes of shared interest and affinity, but they are always self-interested. And that means that they cannot coordinate. And that means we're not going to get a civil war. And people pointing out the horrible fact that the cops basically let this guy get away with it? At the time, I mean, he's arrested now, but they, they were hands off him all day, and they, they didn't they didn't engage him after he'd shot? Yes, of course. That's horrifying, and proof of whose side these guys are. They are reactionary forces. They are, they are filling the role that there is, such as it is, for a social expression of the coming authoritarianism, or end the latent and current authoritarianism. But it's A narrow, thin strip. It's not a big fat stake full of social, uh, like organization the way that the Nazi party was, the way that fascism was in Italy. Uh, the thing you have to worry about is that the cops are the power that they really represent. The cops are the power they really represent. That is where the authority rests. That is, that is one of the load-bearing structures of this edifice. And that has to be attacked directly. That has to be attacked head on, and, and I, I and I think that there is a there is a libidinal desire to have a public confrontation that will be satisfying. You know what I was talking about yesterday? That will be satisfying personally to engage in to finally see the fight brought about. But I don't think that that is recognizing the broader moment, and the the real, the reign of struggle, which is organizing, which is mobilizing. Now there is an argument to be made that these public displays have that propaganda of the deed function, and I would say yes, but like with anything, you have to do a cost-benefit analysis. And is the benefit of that propaganda of inspiration, is it offset by the way that it counter-mobilizes among the enemy? pushes away the unengaged uh, and distracts from meaningful work. Opportunity costs. And my main concern about the current moment is that no one seems to be even aware that that cost-benefit analysis has to be made. Because everyone knows that no one's really in charge and so they don't want to say don't do a thing to people who are going to do it anyway, you're left having to defend it as a maximal position. Why? Because that accords with letting everybody do what they want. Everybody do what they want, which is what they think is good for everybody, but is really just good for them. The way that it's, good, it's fun to yell in the face of people having brunch. You know, the way that it's fun to, to, to smash a fash, if you're that kind of person, or dox a fash, if you're that kind of person, or just call other people fash, to win arguments if you're that kind of person. Uh, uh, Eric Jr. and John... And Don Jr. and Eric both had terro- very bad speeches. Uh, Eric is just hilarious, because he's complaining about the working man being left behind. Like, you've, ne- you've never, we watched him work for that show we watched that was on Fox, uh, where it was one of his job is picking the cover of the, of the magazine that they just put in the shitters of the hotel rooms. It's not even like an actual magazine. Uh, it used to be, he tried to make it a magazine, but nobody read it, and then he put it into his fucking, uh, hotels. But, they bring four out, and they lay him in front of him, and he goes, we were thinking this one. They actually push one towards him, and he goes, yeah, I think that one too. Like, they might as well just put Peter butter on it and had him lick it like he was Mr. Edge, to make him look like he was talking. They're dullards, and they've never worked for anyone but their father. And they've never held a meaningful position of authority or, or influence anywhere. They've never done any of the things that they demand everyone else do to just deserve to live in this country, serve in the military, build a small business. Disgusting uh, pig boys, and the fact that anybody likes them, and the fact that, I mean, previous generations of working like people talk about how, you know, a lot of the a, a lot of the stuff. Uh, in culture, a lot of the cultural changes of the last 40 years would be alienating to working class people a hundred years ago, the factory guys. They wouldn't really go to the Pride Parade and like feel included. They would more likely kind of just think it was wrong and they would go reject it. I mean there's you, you can argue about what that means. I it doesn't mean much because once again, those were that's a hundred years ago, we're here. These these are not the same things. That is not this. That working class is not this working class. The, its composition is similar people in relationship to each other, but it's not a comported social category. So that is, that's why it's wrong, you know. Uh, but it's still, it's still an argument to be made. Uh, but just in the same way as that, a hundred years ago, working class people would have looked at Don Jr., and Eric, and they would have thought, look at these little Fauntleroy pieces of shit. Look at these rich kids I'd like to cave their fucking faces in. They'd spit tobacco on them if they saw them on a fucking uh, train platform. Which means that, you know, none of these things are fucking uh, one-sided in any direction. Like, the social turn pushes people in... Directions that are not controllable or predictable in the moment, but that have to be reckoned with as they occur and then dealt with. And we live in a different reality where we have to deal with the fact that a lot of, of rough-and-tumble regular folk look at a chinless goon like Eric Trump of fucking Habsburg. Like, he is, he's like if the fourth clone of Michael Keaton in Multiplicity got cloned. And he's going to tell people about the virtues of hard work and how, like, the forgotten American man? Like, culture has zapped our brains. And one of the ways it zapped them is to tell people that... to. to it's like the West Virginia coal miners who sat in a big theater to listen to Donald Trump expl- complain about how the hairspray isn't as good as it used to be. That's That just shows that, like, these categories only look the same. Everything is inside. The contents may... Sh- uh, contents may shift you know over the course of a century does anyone know who was on tonight i forgot I, i i i couldn't even remember i gotta say last night you guys anybody who watched last night how fucking bad was that i genuinely thought that was terrible uh Uh, like, it was, it was Democrats bad. Oh, Crenshaw's tonight. Fuck. Oh, that smarmy little prick. Well, I got my eye on him. Ah, <laughs> uh, we all like to have fun. We like to have fun. Melania just went on forever. What the fuck was that? That was insane. I gotta say that we had a lot of fun on the stream. It was a fun stream. Uh, honestly, I think that the boring nights are more fun because I don't get distracted as much by getting mad at it. Because I understand it's all kayfabe, and you should never argue these things on their merits because they're pointless. The argument exists independently of like ever being resolved. It's uh, it's just it's the it's the subject. You have to step away from it. Uh, but goddamn it, they pull me in. With, when they get really going, they really pull me in. All that stuff the first night about how, like, thanks to Donald Trump, I got a pack and antibiotics uh, when I got sick with COVID or whatever. It's like, do you, guys, do you guys think that he is like a volcano god? I mean, you think that if, if, if Donald Trump was not president, the sun would not have risen that day and Earth would have f- flipped off of its axis and pinwheeled into space. And we would all have died in frozen horror. Like, all that stuff still would have happened, dude. Oh, it still gets me. So, but it's more, when it's more boring, you don't even really process the garbage. It just kind of s- goes smoothly over your brain. Uh, but if I, might get, I get, might get a little head up at Crenshaw because he's such a smug prick. And he's, he's, he really is trying to be the conservative AOC. That is exactly what he's trying to be. Because he is he is Soy. He is a conservative soy man, and I'm not talking about because he likes Israel. I'm not talking about his positions. I mean that he is the embodiment of the caricature of a millennial uh, 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 social media star. The way AOC is. The way that he uh, is just... Uh, uh, the way that he weaponizes grievance uh, and the way that he... Um, and specifically the way that he plays on sympathy of uh, uh, on, on, amongst the public he like tries to flip all the social justice stuff on its head and be like well if you he really does do like well if you were really tolerant you'd be tolerant of this and I feel like that and the way that he courts epicness you know like he's epic in a very specific way he's bacony, you know He he's like oh me and me and Pete Davidson went on SNL he's like a millennial He is, in his essence, like a millennial bug man that these guys hate, uh, but because he grew up in Texas or whatever, he's still a Republican, even now. And also, he's a loser. I really think Felix is onto something with this thing about how we're getting a million veterans running for things, but people don't want to fucking elect a veteran, because we want, we've had enough losers in this fucking country. We don't want to get fucking represented by a bunch of guys who couldn't beat a bunch of dudes wearing fucking uh, uh, like bath robes and, and tires strapped to their feet. I mean, motherfucker. What the hell? Bunch of losers. That guy lost his eye in Afghanistan. What kind of schmuck? Yeah, there's something cuckish about being a, a veteran. You're not a winner. And like, it, conservatism is nothing else, uh, if not a sorting mechanism for winners and losers. We're going to use this uh, extractive hierarchy to sort people. And there's rewards and punishments, there's rights and responsibilities, and they ar- align along how, uh, how much worth you have. How much of a winner you are? How how uh, how much do you contribute to the market? What are you worth to me? Don't give me some abstract shit about that we're all human, that we all share like a drive towards understanding of of the universe that can only be found by understanding each other. Don't give me that bullshit. What what do you what is it? What is uh, what do I get out of you being here? What do I get out of you? If you're a woman, what do I get out of you? Are you attractive? Do I want to have sex with you? Alright, you have value. Uh, if, you're, if you're a minority, it's like, well, what do you have to give me? And if it's a bunch of stuff about how, oh, we don't have as much to contribute because, uh, you know, enslavement and poverty and racism, I'm sorry, what has that got to do with me? You're a loser. You lost. White men won. Black people lost. And along the way, there's winners and losers within those strata, and they get rewarded and punished individually and then as a group. And it all, over time, sorts out itself. That's what they think. So everyone is totally uh, seen as they must be in a market through the lens of utility. 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 And a winner is, by definition of having won something, possesses value. If they've won, they've won something. Whatever it is. Social, material, sexual, spiritual, whatever you want to think. If they've won something, they have something. They have value. If they're a loser, you've lost something, you don't have value. Veterans, sorry, losers. And of course, you know, that's very low... That's down on the reptile at this point. But over time, as the sorting keeps happening, they get added. And that's why I said that there is no future for ethno-nationalism. Ethno-nationalism is a dead end. Because, because it fixates on sorting, it, it imagines itself, oh, well, we'll stop at white people or whatever. We'll stop at slurbs. We'll stop at, at, at this group. We will create a, a, a full, enclosed... Harmonic social order. But if the thing that got you there is not changed when you have that harmonic social order, you're going to keep sorting winners from losers. And you get new categories of people who are unpeople, and you get new explosions of social strife. You get new uh, 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 immiseration, and then you have new social conflict. Congratulations. Until all is destroyed mutually. The mutual ruin of the contending classes, which you idiotically thought. We're not going to exist because race is the real class. Well, guess what? Race is not the real class. Class is the real class. And that's why class has to be the first basis of analysis. Because otherwise, you could make a utilitarian argument for ethno-nationalism. That's the eco-fascist thing, right? Like, well, it's too late. Socialism is too late. It's barbarism, and who's in the lifeboat and who's out? We're going to go by race. But I'm saying, no, it doesn't even... It doesn't even... um, make that case that isn't even accurate because even if it got there it would destroy itself then because the sorting mechanism would continue the winners and the losers would get put apart stretched apart and it would undermine the social order and obliterate it and socialism is a different sorting it is a sorting outward of pain a redistribution of pain so that instead of some people experiencing exquisite amounts of alienation and pain and other people experience, and I'm, not ta- I'm talking material, and other people experiencing almost none, that you can redistribute that pain so that it is felt lightly by everybody. And the more lightly it can be felt, the more our social antenna can be connected to each other and facilitate actual harmonic existence and a flow that is regulated not by the brutal algorithm of the market, which none of us can trust with one another because we're alienated from one another, to a holistic market, a market that doesn't require signals because it is uh, it's, uh, it's spontaneous. And you can say, oh, that's not likely. Well, no shit. Huh. <laughs> I mean, ethno-nationalists aren't going to get what they want either. Like, I'm sorry, we're not going to get the Pepe uh, Kekistan. We're going to get military camps. Like, worst case scenario, like, it really does collapse. It's going to be military fiefdoms. It's not going to be epic, uh, new, uh, like, Fourth Reich meme lord land. You're not even going to get that. So you're living in a fantasy world, too. At least my fantasy world actually is a fantasy and not a disguised nightmare. Oh, the Brabant killings, man. That's wild stuff. Just think about this. Belgium's got like seven people in it, right? It's a fucking postage stamp. It, it's, it, it shouldn't even exist. It's this stupid... T- it's like, why didn't the Netherlands and France... When they pulled it apart, why didn't they pull harder and get the whole thing? And then they wouldn't have had to worry about this stupid shit. So it's a weird little appendix in the Low Countries. Very small, small population. 11 million now, okay. But we're talking in the 80s. We're talking single-digit millions, which is about as many people as are within a nuclear radius of me right now. Uh, And over the course of a number of years in the 80s, there was a string of insanely violent robberies, mostly at grocery stores but also break-ins at gas stations, that led to the deaths of over 30 people. These are, this, the, 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 the descriptions of these crimes are like Grand Theft Auto. Dude, three dudes pull up in their little Citrion or whatever, or little, no, it's a, it was a van, pop out, and just if someone's in the parking lot, just start shooting people in the parking lot, go into the place, shoot anyone they see grabbed the money and they got barely any money. They would like steal camping supplies and, and, and like a bulk food items and toilet paper and shit. And then a little bit of cash. So these were like, if this was uh, economically motivated, it's the most wildly like miscalculated decision matrix that humans ever possessed. Like I want $40. How am I going to get it? How about I kill 12 people? In broad daylight or like in the, or in the middle of a city. And then at several points, they had shootouts with cops where they killed the cops. Cops showed up at one point as they were leaving one, uh, uh, one of the grocery stores, they lit their asses up like fucking heat. And it got, it never got solved. They never found them. How would that happen? How does that happen? They never found them. Nobody got arrested even. And then when you consider the fact that there's a cache of weapons associated with the Brabant killings that included in it NATO-specific firearms and and shells that were part of, like, the complement of of armories given uh, to the Belgian Special Forces as part of their NATO training. Uh, The connections of uh, people to the stolen goods from the robbery connected to far-right uh, neo-Nazi orgs with ties to the military, including a guy who had in his possession at one point, NATO documents, classified NATO documents, when he was arrested. And at another point before his suicide, uh, said that he had connections to Marc Dutroux. Marc Dutroux was a Belgian uh, child murderer. One of the most monstrous human beings, really, I, I, I've ever encountered uh, in, my, in my readings a real piece of shit, uh, who was allowed through a baffling array of of police misconducts to go undetected while abducting, raping and murdering numbers, I can't remember how many it was, but I think it was more than ten. Young girls, after being released from prison for that very crime, Uh, and at one point he, he had girls in a subterranean vault that he would built himself while police officers were searching his home. And even though the girls were screaming, none of them investigated the downstairs. And they found tapes in his house of him building the basement lair that they did not look at until after he had been arrested la- uh, later for something else for, like, uh, fencing cars or something. And when he was arrested, he said, I work with a network of high-level political, financial, and military leaders in Belgian society uh, and providing them with young children for ritual sexual assault and murder. Uh, And he gave names. He listed actual people. Uh, And he... And those associates, uh, alarmingly, ended up mostly get dying one way or the other. There's, it's like JFK, only I think even more impressive the number of people inv- involved in the mer- investigation, uh, both as prosecutors and police officers, and as potential witnesses who died through uh, accident and suicide. Uh, and there, at one point, uh, and. And then the real eye-raising stuff, eye-raising stuff, is that the victims came forward claiming that they had seen Dutroux during abuse at the hands of, like, Belgian social people. And those witnesses gave descriptions of buildings, the interiors of buildings, that they otherwise would not have been able to have. Uh, and it's not obviously an open and shut case, but the connections you have there, just in Belgium, between international child sex rings, uh, right wing neo Nazi uh, biker gangs, prison gangs, uh, uh, police off networks of uh, fascist police officers, f- literal former Nazis like the Gellen Organ in, in West, Virgi- West Germany, and of course the, the, uh, the neo the fascists in Italy. I mean, those guys were led by those P2 lounges, had guys who had been, who had been actual card carrying fascists under Mussolini in there and then of course coordinating the thing NATO the the, architect, uh, the architecture of our, of our uh, Western military alliance against the Soviet Union where always at every point the front of the Cold War like you could I, I've said that like you could call it the third world war the Cold War is the third world war but there was one quiet front and that was Europe but that was where the game actually was everything else was battle for Europe in the minds of the planners I mean, there's a reason the Fold a Gap was the fixation of planners on both sides of, uh, of the Urals. And the obsession among the military for the creation of uh, tactical nuclear weapons, small nuclear weapons that could be deployed at the battlefield level by generals, they actually thought that they could create art, uh, nuclear artillery shells and, and like uh, mortar rounds that could be fired to. Destroy like a tank column, and that would not escalate to a full exchange of nuclear fire, which of course was madness. There's something called the Davy Crockett. It was a a nuclear mortar. It had it it was looked like a regular mortar almost, but with a giant mushroom head, and like Donald Trump's dick, according to Story Daniels. And it was supposed to like fire at a mile and go off. One of those just like the delusion going down to the idea that you're going to survive after you press that button. Amazing. But anyway, the reason they were folks fixated on that is because that was the ball game. Europe was the ball game in the minds of the planners. Because that was the developed world. That was the, that was like, the rest of the world was where we were getting the resources. The rest of the world is where we were getting the shit that we ground into the end, uh, the end result. The commodities, the world commodities. They were consumed in the UK, or I mean, they were consumed in the United States uh, and uh, Europe. And so that's why it's called the Cold War, because the one place that didn't, there was no fighting, the one front that was quiet was Europe. I did not have a thousand islands there, thank you. I would like more information about the Milwaukee uh, child trafficking house, by the way. I, I got yelled at by a guy because I had said that I didn't know anything else about after it happened. And he, scree- he got my DMs and he was furious because he said, you're from Milwaukee. You should know this stuff. Why are you asking? And I said, I, I don't know, man. And I, I just, I don't know what sources to go with. It's, I'm not there. I don't have local connections there anymore. And he just, and I even asked him, like, is there anything I could look at? And he's like, you don't know, you fraud fuck. And I was like, damn, I'm sorry. And I felt bad for the guy because he seemed very invested in it. But I swear to God, I have, after the initial thing, I have no idea how to do anything with that other than drive myself insane by trying to find a pattern that I couldn't realistically think was, uh, you know, or find a pattern out of something that I could not even really convince myself was a body of evidence. I, my guess is, is that what people were saying at the time probably isn't true, because that kind of stuff is almost never true. The first draft? I mean, come on. Because how much stuff are people drawing conclusions from that is just inference, and then eventually it gets fall- follow- like, how many, how many people think that there's uh, crisis actors and false flags because, they, because of the evidence that initial reports said that there were multiple gunmen? How many people use that as evidence? Of course they're going to say that, because the guy's over here, people are running, somebody's over there, they see him, what if they see a cop? There's another gunman. What if somebody comes around the bend and twice? People. Somebody's over, you hear screaming, how the hell are you going to say that initial reports are going to indicate anything, other than everyone's freaking out? Initial reports have to be sifted through, and... When all you have is like a live stream and then nothing, uh, what are you sifting through? And that's why I say it's about triage. A lot of this stuff, like the first step towards disengaging from the discourse is triage. Like one of the things that will really make you cut down on the amount of time you spend on here, swear to God, is if you cut down the number of things that you allow yourself to give a shit about. I'm not talking about, like, you know, this specific case. I'm talking more about something like the Kansas thing I talked about the other day. Uh, You have to be able to recognize quickly what is pure discourse, what is discourse brain, and what is meat. And then that allows you to funnel out. And that means if there's less stuff you're paying attention to, Twitter gets boring faster. Because there's only so many takes and only so much to talk about. If everything is worth getting excited about then you'll never leave. You'll never find an end to that. You can stay there for hours. But if you start whittling down what cares, you care about, it's like, oh, I'm done. I'm basically done with the internet right now. And then you can go read a fucking book. Oh, my battery is running low. Might have to cut out early, but I'm good for now. I feel like I'm cruising. Uh, why should we not freak out about Kenosha? I think I said that earlier, if you didn't come on, uh, I I, may, I think I made my argument about that. Oh my god, how would an evangelical view Spinoza? I mean, as, as the devil, he's a demon, he's a communist. They would just say he's a communist. Because it means there's no hell, and there's no damnation, and that means that you can do the devil's business without punishment. And that means, because they are eth- because they are bad people, because they are fully, libidinally motivated, they also have to motivate themselves to even hold the fiction of their religious belief that they need in order to maintain sanity uh, through a coercive mechanism. There has to be a hell, there has to be punishment, because... If I didn't believe in God, I would do these things. I would rape, I would pillage, I would murder. I would do, I mean, honestly, they already do a bunch of terrible stuff that they've convinced themselves is good, but they would also do even worse stuff. And they think that what's governing them is God, but it's not. It's their own superego protecting them from annihilation by going too far against the social world that they don't recognize as social because it's essentially a psychopathic worldview. But the Spinozian the Spinozian religious perspective by robbing by getting rid of hell gets rid of the stakes of interactions personally in such a way that unity can be can arise in perception. It can become perceivable because the stakes are lower, because the pressure is lower. It's why people it's why uh that's why Social enlightenment comes to the middle and upper classes before it comes to the working class because you have to have a certain level of comfort in order to accommodate others or else you're in tunnel vision, gotta get mind mode, which is what these people have even though they already have everything, but that's the thing. You're a hungry ghost, you have no perspective. That means that even as you are always satiated, any displeasure becomes as bad to your brain any displeasure, like a pee, like the, the pee in the princess's uh, mattresses that becomes as searing as the hunger pains of someone who has had to skip the last three meals because their fucking uh, COVID payment is late. Or because they live in a fucking uh, favela in, in Brazil or something. To them, it's as real because they feel nothing but pleasure. Any, pl- any pain, any discomfort is, is, is everything. If you don't have that, if you don't have that, uh, that, the the horror of obliteration there, the the the, uh, the consciousness of the obliteration of your ego, which you are worshiping, without knowing it, you're you're secretly worshiping your own ego, but it will annihilate, it will be annihilated, it can't be reconciled unless the ego can be turned outward, essentially, and externalized into social connections with others. And if that happened, people don't have to be told not to kill each other. People don't have to be told not to uh, exploit one another for profit. It would occur to them to do it. Now, of course, that's not going to be true of everyone at once. And that's why uh, utopianism is a bad way to organize your politics, because it is so far from us. But we have to have some vision of what this is for, I believe. And I believe this is not, and and I believe that what sounds goofy about it and what sounds pie-in-the-sky about it only feels that way if you're imagining it as being totalizing and instantaneous. But if you imagine it as a process being moved towards, and then at one point you get a critical mass of people, and the, the social mechanism that generates evil is overcome over time, and fewer and fewer people are operating under those constraints that social dysfunction will also be leached out of society and out of our out of our human nature our human nature will now be something completely different than what we think it is but it's only because we've resolved all the contradictions of producing for use and surplus on a planet of resources And so that over time, that becomes, it goes, there's a tipping point is reached where that, because the thing is, there's that in society at all times. It's just right now being crushed. It's, it's being destroyed. It's being obliterated by capitalism. But of course, capitalism is acquiring elements of it. Like the wokeification of capitalism is a dialectical process. Like the the, 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 the base of neoliberalism is actually being changed the way, because the base... This has to be remembered, and I don't think I emphasize this enough, is that the base generates the superstructure, but then the superstructure changes the base. But the reason that that distinction matters is because you can never change the operation at the superstructural level because it's not generative. Once the process begins though, it's reinforcing. And so the woke stuff that looks like to a lot of people who are just kind of reactionary socially and they want a reason for it to be socially acceptable, they see that and they're like, oh, this is socialism being uh, you know, uh, co- commodified. It's like, "Well, kind of, yeah, that's the motive, but it's also at a social level, it is capitalism being humanized a little. But of course, over time, it shrinks and grows according to how much money we have, how much wealth we have, how much ability we have to spread pain around. Like, we had the Civil Rights Movement during the height of America's prosperity for a reason. Because expectations were heightened, and more, and just as importantly, among the white people, there was enough prosperity for most of them to go, Ah, you know what, let them have it. That wasn't an accident. Those two things drove each other. Now we're in a situation where standards of living are declining. Where people are feeling more and more, even if they are not materially deprived, they sense the impending deprivation of their material circumstances like they say that the 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 white the uh the white bourgeois most likely to vote for trump were white bourgeois in places that had high levels of unemployment poverty and opiate overdose as in they were the rich people but the rich people in the poor towns as in they saw what could happen to white people something they thought could only happen to the lazy and the black could happen to white people which means it could happen to them And so that is happening now. And now we're getting this wokeification of capitalism, and it is trying to like bat down the generalized enemy produced by the system, and 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 the need to maintain and increase structures of control, both enforced through the law, the military, and the police, but also culturally, through the discourse, not generative, but culturally generated by which is yes you could argue that all this discourse this is all cia operation you could say the cia created critical theory in the 60s to make everybody talk about this shit all day you could say it and in in function that that discourse does serve capitalism which you can argue very clearly because it exists within capitalism and nothing that prominent at a social cultural level could exist if it was incompatible with capitalism but it doesn't mean that that thing must be negated in socialism. It's created by the social instinct. It has to be kept. It has to be cherished and integrated into a class analysis and, by, and through class action and protected the way that the labor movement was one of the founding uh, and f- funders and uh, 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 infrastructure providers of the civil rights movement. Hot damn. I do do declare. (laughs) So does that make sense? Man, that feels good. I feel like I got something out there that I've been like trying to articulate for a while. And I just didn't have the right, the moment wasn't there where I had the right symbols in my head that I could see through the keyhole. Uh. Do you feel a ray of light of fire? Do you feel a ray of light of fire? Do you fe- Does anyone remember when Madonna did, became an EDM DJ? I remember that. One of her many reinventions. Oh, general strike, oh no, 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 no general strike, no nobody is nobody knows how to strike nobody, nobody can strike, we cannot strike. The few general strikes that have ever happened in Western history have happened at the city level, which is because that's the degree of organization. Or The degree of organizational coherence you need to pull one off for even a few days is, necess- is usually only found at the city level. And you're talking Seattle, um, uh, San Francisco. Uh, there's one in Vancouver, I believe. They never, They don't spread generally because it's difficult to maintain that organizational coherence beyond the city level. And even the, and and but those were in cities with super high union density within key industries. We have unprecedentedly low union density in this country. Winnipeg. In in, in, in unprecedentedly low union density in this country. We have a, a, we um, do not have the coordination to ensure any significant degree of critical labor inputs being withheld from the system, which is what you need for it to be anything other than a demonstration. And the thing is, is that I think there is limited value to be had in demonstrations, and I think, like, like a National Day of Action type thing, like a real show of strength type, one day, like they used to do during the Iraq War, uh, like the mobilization against the war did during Vietnam, the MOB, that could have a clarifying effect and could certainly help shape the political landscape in a positive direction. But I don't think that you should put it through the... You should not look at it as a strike. People should not organize or create expectations along the avenue of it being a strike because that will guarantee failure. Guarantee if people think that they're going to do what a strike can do on the timetable people are talking about, they will only be disappointed. It will only be a disappointment. If it is understood to be a demonstration of just voices heard, you could be some. You, I wouldn't say far because demonstrations are of limited value, but a coordinated national moment as opposed to individual explosions of discontent could have an effect on... Just getting people out there, hell, exchanging fucking emails, texting each other, joining orgs, put some tables out. Hey, here's an org. Hey, here's, who's got a, who works at, who works uh, in a big box retailer? Show of hands, who works at a big box retailer? You know, that could be useful, but that's not a strike. And, beca- and, the, and, the, and, the, and the desire to call it a strike is that same libidinal forgive me desire to see The moment having arrived. To know that you're not just participating in the slow boring of hard boards and the tedious creation of a new political reality. No, you were at the summit. You were at the mountaintop. Because everyone wants to get to the top. Everyone wants to see it resolved towards something great. They don't want to see their work just be seen to themselves in their life. The only one they're ever going to have is a fucking waste of time. But that instinct is what drives us to the grandiosity of our reach over seeding our grass and and the constant compulsive misidentification of how much organizing needs still to be done and how weak the left is. Talking about a strike, talking about a civil war, those things delude the self and anyone who hears them and believes them into how strong the left is, how coherent it is. It's not coherent enough to be the side in a civil war, and it's not coherent enough to organize a strike of any kind for getting a fucking general one. But God, can you imagine it? One day, everybody in the streets... Who works at a big-box retailer? Who works at Amazon? Who wants to do this? Who's... Who wa- Hey, you know... Hey, who lives in this building? Maybe we, like, the rent strike thing was also kind of in the same thing if it's just people just deciding not to pay their rent. A lot of people love the idea of a rent strike because, oh, I don't have to talk to anybody. I'll just not pay my rent. Everybody else will just not pay their rent. And boom, we won't have to pay our rent. That's precisely how you get fucked. Because you're not coordinated. But, like, a a full building rent strike? That has actual power. A block of buildings rent strike? Now you're fucking talking. Everybody in the street who lives in this building... Who lives in that building? Who lives in this neighborhood? Who needs this thing? Like, mutual aid is another thing that feels to a lot of people revolutionary, but I think is more people just sort of doing the charity that feels good to them in the moment, which, God bless, and is better than doing nothing. But that's the kind of situation where that sort of mutual aid organization could be hypothetically linked to some other organs and create actual structures of connection at the level of membership. Not at the level of belief. And assertion of belief. So, yeah. Damn. I mean, maybe that's a bad idea. I'm sure some fucking... I'm sure sur- some hardcore... Uh, Materialist types will tell me that that's, that's all rad too. It's a fantasy, it's a rad-lib fantasy that we could ever do that because how would you even get enough people to sh- agree to show up and ask the people the same questions and not have it boil into a big argument about what representation should exist within the structure of the organizing? And I'm, I'm, I'm forgetting the role the culture is going to play in poisoning the well because everyone's going to have to do their own little thing and everyone is going to have to feel represented regardless of whether or not it is um, congruent with the project or whether it makes it uh, more difficult. And the thing is, is that I don't know the answers to those questions. I don't know what, where you draw the line. That's a thing that has to be worked out. But it can't be worked out, and here's where I get back to what I was talking about yesterday, with the uh, the idea of the difference between libidinal politics and, like, a social, a socialized... It's essentially, because it's in, it's the same libido. Like, I, I, I called it, the other day, I think I called it, like, a, a social uh, obligation, and I think that's wrong. It's not social obligation. Obligation kind of implies coercion. It's a social will. Like, You, you're doing it for other people because you identify at the level of the self, them with your, your, their interests with yours. So you are, it's a social being, not a social obligation. So there's a difference between libidinal politics and like a socialized spiritual, let's call it spiritual politics. The, uh, the, the, yeah, the spiritual and, and the personal. And what? what's the difference between those and like how specifically does going by the one make it impossible to actually organize? And I would give as an example, people who say, want to do real organizing to the, like their libidinal, their, their desire to feel like they're contributing to politics, uh, matches their personal desire or matches their social desire to engage with the world. So they join an org. Say the org says, hey, we're organizing. We think we're going to do uh, Medicare for all. We're going to do a Medicare for all organiz- uh, a- operation to try to build support for Medicare for all by talking to people, by getting in people's face. And this is like a, a ba- a building the baseline outreach that can contribute to building greater capacity. And now here's where the first, uh, first hurdle is going to come. Uh, doing things like going door-to-door suck. They're not fun. They're not fun in the way that we have been acculturated to think things should be fun. So that means that we have found now our first division, our first conflict. Do we go, yeah, it's not fun, but I could make it fun, and it'll feel fun because it'll make me feel like I'm contributing. And the thing is, that's what happens. That's the process, right, of turning your life into... You're spiritualizing your life, Right. T- getting rid of individualized desires and creating a, 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 social, a, a social self that gets spiritual sucker from other people's advancement and the advancement of humanity. So by going and doing it, it becomes fun, or at least more fun than you thought it was gonna be. It's still gonna suck the way that all things that involve dealing with people suck, but if you're going to be able to find more out of it. But you haven't done it yet, in your head, it's just something that you don't want to do. In your head, it's a thing that your libido wants to avoid. So maybe you think, you know, I don't really want to go door to door. What else could I do? Well, it looks like nothing else I could do would satisfy my sense that I'm doing something, which is what I really want to feel. Uh, what if it's actually bad that they're going door to door? What if that because I, I'm uncomfortable going door to door. I actually I have a condition that means I can't go door to door. It makes me uncomfortable. It gives me anxiety. Interacting with strangers gives me anxiety, unlike other people. Uh, and like saying that I'm not a really good socialist if I don't do that, you know what? They're, uh, they're not being socialist, they're being ableist. And I'm actually serving the revolution and serving the advancement of humanity more. If I denounce them and form an organization of people to also denounce them until they understand that I need to be centered. And at every point, this is where I want to stress, subjectively, that person doesn't think that they have ever deviated from doing the best thing and the right thing and the good thing. They are not operating off of bad faith. They think they're doing the right thing because they have no idea that they are only operating libidinally. They have no idea that they don't have a spiritual connection that would allow them to make the leap to do something they didn't want to do. And you can take that example, and it happens a million different ways. I mean, how many people, once DSA started, said, uh, "Oh, they're too—they're too epically—they're too epically, uh, they're too epically uh, woke for me. It's all a bunch of handholding. It's like..." Well, I mean, that's what you see online, but maybe it's different in person. Nah, fuck that. It's like, well, wouldn't you want to find out? If you thought it was worth getting mad about as an org, if you thought the organization had enough, um, if you thought the organization had enough potential to be worth getting, to be worth caring about, to be worth spending pending any attention on and, and focusing on and caring about what happens with, if it was worth that attention, wouldn't it be worth you getting off your fucking ass and trying to look at it? And then once you're in that situation, yeah, you might see some wokeness, but there's not just one line of wokeness that make, m- makes all the good-hearted, you know, would-be well-intentioned white guys flee. How much of that is this is a dysfunctional organization? And I'd say at, the thing is, is that you could only know that at the level of the um, of the local. And I think that there were locals that were irredeemably messed up internally, and that yeah, I would walk out. But I would, I would also say that was a minority, and that in majority of them, as much as you would have to roll your eyes, well maybe you roll your eyes a little bit, huh? Maybe you maybe you ignore it a little bit. If you think it's worth doing, and then at some point maybe the point where you decide it's too much wokeness, it's really just that you want and want not do anything because it sucks to sit in meetings and it sucks to go door to door, and it's more fun to complain about it. And so, once again, same way. That person doesn't think that they're not operating in good faith. That person thinks, no, I want what's best for everybody. These guys are the enemy. I have to... No. But because they aren't even aware of the disconnect, they don't know they're merely operating out of libidinal political satisfaction. And the thing is, I would like to say, if you're saying now, how does that not describe you? It won million zillion billion percent describes me. I became a podcaster because I was a poster, and I was a poster because I would rather post about politics and be seen posting about politics than to go off my ass and do anything. And I have the excuse that, well, what's to do? Everything sucks. It's like, yes, everything sucks. But one of the reasons everything sucks is because people have an excuse to not even engage and make them suck less. And that's called the internet. And I'm not saying that means everyone should join DSA. I, I mean, the ship might have sailed, honestly. Like, at this point, it was so distorted by this process I'm describing on both sides that it might, be, it might be beside the point. It might be prefigurative without being able to be, like, emergent. But something I'm just saying is that orgs like that, anything you can find that seems like a plausible pl- place for you to put your energies... Um, you have to actually evaluate from a, from a spiritual level. You have to apply the spiritual lens, not the personal lens, to the project. And you might still find it's bullshit. And it probably is because we don't know what we're doing. It might be irredeemable. But it might be redeemable if you are willing to put the work in. And you got to ask yourself, am I convincing myself I don't have to put the work in? Because it's easier not to and I'd rather go online, or is it really irredeemable? At least get to that point. And the thing is, I think where we are, and why things are so bad, and, and there's no transmission belt of persuasion from the left to anywhere, is because not enough people ask that question. And I must stress, I have not asked that question. I am only even coming into realization of the void that I had. In my conception of myself, my conception of the world, my duty to my fellow fucking human and myself so if no and the, the point of talks of talking like stuff like this is to disarm these things because so much of these arguments are based around people feeling deeply nestled guilt about their inaction and wanting to expiate it through validation from others in a public realm they want it so everyone's on trial every day in front of everybody else and we all have to prove that we're on the side of the angels because of the consequences, because of the rage we'll feel towards the people who fall short, and the shame we will feel, and the misery we'll feel if we are found to be falling short. And what I'm saying is that if there is a Jubilee, if we drop the fucking rocks and start over, we can actually move forward. Whew! Wow. I hope that made sense. I was getting some stuff in my face. All right. Maybe I'll ask, have one, I, I'm almost out of battery actually. So let me take one question and then I'm out of here. Now I'm out. That was the last gasp. It was like, I, got, I, I hit, I hit the, I hit the Apogee came back down. I got like a second, second wind, but you only get two wins. With my cardiovascular health, you only get two wins. So I, and, and my battery's almost dead, so I gotta go. Thank you guys, though. I felt, I felt really good about this one. I hope, it's, I hope it makes sense. I hope people like it. Bye-bye. Leave them one more, baby. Mwah.